as the kids leave, I'll draw your attention to something. If you'll look in the pew, somewhere in your pew or in the little envelope holder in front of you somewhere, there's a little card that looks like this. It's blue and it says connect on top of it. I want to draw your attention to that right now because uh, later in the service, this is going to be one optional way for you to, to respond to today's service. Really, the title of today's ser- uh, sermon should have been soul exam. I, I missed, uh, typed it on our, our cards today and our our notes, talking about looking at our soul. Um, last week I said, I, I kind of laid out before you my goals. Is, one is to retake, um, retake some ground that belongs, I believe, solely or belongs mainly in the Christian world. And that is our role for the care of our soul and care for other people's soul, that, that Christianity itself uh, has given over much soul care in a lot of ways, and that I want us to retake that ground and realize it is our responsibility to be concerned about our and other people's souls. I want us to recognize how God's Word is the instruction book for soul care. That that's the the instructions on how to take care of our souls and how to and how to have a healthy soul. And then I want us to refocus our attention on our own souls as well as the souls of others and, and just be thinking about that very important part of us, uh, our uh, non-material self, that, that, that us within, our hearts, our souls, that is very, very important within scriptures. Paul has the same concern uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. He's, he's writing to a church. He's a pastor. Paul shows his pastor's heart. And, and one of the main things that he cares about is the soul of the, of his church, uh, these people that he deals with. And he writes to them and he says this. It's a very simple uh, kind of uh, uh, verse. Test yourselves and see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves or do you not recognize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you failed the test. So he's giving them the same instructions that we even talked about last week is to examine ourselves, to look at our souls, to look at, at our faith and what's within us. And we were, last week we were talking about how to take care of our souls. And one of those steps was this, this kind of examination to, to really consider and think about the health of our soul. You know, are we taking good care of it? Are we abusing it like we might abuse our body? Or are we taking care of it like we can also take care of our body? And so today I want us to kind of dig into this verse a little bit and, and pull some applications out of that. And then there's this invitation request I have for you from a pastor's heart. So first, let's, let's kind of break down the verse itself. Four little ideas for us to consider as Paul's writing this verse to the Corinthians. And, and we'll kind of work through it this way. First, what was Paul's concern? Why is he telling everybody to write? Why to consider to examine themselves, to, to look at themselves, to see if they pass this test of faith? Well, Paul's concerned about unconverted people in the church. He, he's looking at the people he's supposed to pastor. And he's like, I have some concerns about the health of your soul. And, and it's something is amiss. There, there's, if you know um, about the Corinthian church, it's a church that's had quite a bit of issues. Uh, Paul's actually uh, planning a third visit to kind of come and set things straight. That he's written them two letters that we have, that, that he's visited them a couple of times, and he's trying to put some order in, and there's some disorder, some things that shouldn't be happening within the church uh, full of believers. And so he is, in closing this last letter, saying, hey, look, I'm on my way, you know, I'm going to talk with you when I get there, and I want you to kind of tell me where you think you're at. Uh, and so he's really concerned about the health, the soul health of his flock. 
And so that's what's prompting them, telling them, start to look at yourselves. So that's his concern. Well, what's his advice to, about this concern? It's the same one that we're talking about, to examine themselves. To, to start with themselves. To take personal responsibility for their soul. He's like, you know, don't just worry about what I say. Don't just put it on the pastor. But you look at yourself. Take some time to really honestly evaluate yourself. Because the fact of the matter is no one knows you better than you. You can put on facades. You can fake it. You can say all the right things when the preacher shows up. But you alone with yourself knows those things that are all alone in your heart. The only person who knows you better than you is God. And so what his advice is, is get alone with God and the two of you talk about this thing. Find out what the condition of the inside of you is like. Start there. It takes a special part of ourselves. So, you know, we were singing this song, cleanse me, O God, let the spirit come and make me humble. It takes a great deal of humility to actually be honest with ourselves sometimes. To step back and say, I am not getting it right in some places. I've got some issues. I've got some cleaning I need to do. i got some, my, my soul is not right where it needs to be. And I think praying a prayer, God, let me see me like you see me, is a very dangerous, and you need to be very courageous if you pray that with all honesty. But I think that's a good place to start. God, help me see me. Help me see my soul as you see it. As you know it to really be. And help me evaluate and examine myself very, very honestly. Bless me with that kind of humility. Paul's method. He tells them a very specific kind of test. And this is going to be the really the bulk of our sermon today to understand what this test is. But what method is he using for them to examine themselves? He's like, well, see if you're of the faith. What does it mean to be of the faith? And he goes on to say, see if you can see Jesus in you. See if if the indwelling Holy Spirit is making a difference in your life. Do you recognize Jesus in you? Do you recognize Jesus' presence? Do you recognize the work of Jesus in you? It's this test of faith. He's like, and so we're going to kind of break that idea and come back to this method that see if you're of the faith. That's and that's why that's why he's concerned. He says because some of you are going to find out you might fail the test. So that's his his fear of the unconverted. And then Paul's reason. Why does he give them this advice to examine themselves? Well, it's like I said, he's coming to visit. The pastor's coming to town. He's setting up an appointment with them. He's like, look, I'm going to get there and I want to have some conversations with you. And I want you to be able to tell me where you think you're at. You know, and, and then we can start to discuss this thing and I can be your pastor and you can be, you know, part of my congregation and we will together can try to consider where your soul's at. Now he's warning some of them that he, he he's kind of concerned about some of them and he's, he's afraid he's going to have to be kind of blunt and straightforward with some of them. But he's hoping that if they can evaluate themselves first, then it will ease this blow <laughs> and that he can come in and say, yes, you are evaluating yourselves. What are we going to do about that? How are we going to get you, uh, you know, healthier? What, what is it you need to work on? How can I pray for you? How can I minister to you? He, he's showing a pastor's heart. He wants to know his flock. He wants to know where they stand, where they think they stand, and come to the truth. And I will tell you, as a pastor, this is really one of our greatest concerns. It's where you're at. We are tasked with the job of trying to help take care of each other's souls. 
And the big burden of that falls on us, the pastors. And we are concerned about that. That's why I'm here. I, I love ministering to people when they're sick. I love visiting people and in and, and, and good times and bads. And, and, you know, this week, it's been a really rough week for Paul and for Peg. And I've had the, the blessing of being there and seeing their faith in these, these really dire moments. And I consider that an honor and a blessing. But I consider, I'm really concerned about people's soul. That eternal part of them. And I see Paul very concerned about this. It truly matters to the pastor where you stand. And it is a conversation we are dying to have about how and where you see yourself standing before the Lord. And so let us talk about, go back to the bulk of this test. What is this test? Well, in this passage, in this this case, Paul just calls it the test of faith. You know, see if you pass the test of faith. Do you see Jesus in you unless you fail this test? He, he He's not very, really specific in this particular instance. Other places in scriptures and other churches he's written to, he gives us a bit more detail and some other scriptures from John and Acts will help us do it. And so I want us to look at three ways to test for faith. Now, I'm going to be honest with you straight up front. I'm saying the same three three different ways. It's really the same thing, but three different ways of saying the same thing. And so the first thing that we can look as we start to examine ourselves and we start to say, is Jesus in me? Is the Holy Spirit abiding me? Do I see his work? Do I see his presence? Do I see living faith? What does that look like? Well, the first thing I think we need to look for is conviction and repentance. Conviction and repentance. Now, if you'll notice, the and is big and bold. Because I think we need both sides of this as an act of faith. We need conviction and repentance. Conviction without repentance is wasteful. So we need both parts of it. And this is a living faith when we have conviction and repentance. I can tell you today, I know a person right now who has conviction. They, they know they have made bad choices in their life. They know they're doing wrong things. They wish they were doing other things, but they have no repentance. They won't turn back to God. And so all the conviction in the world is useless unless it's backed up with the repentance, the turning back to God. John 16, here's one of the passages that, that kind of lay this out for us and help us understand that this is kind of the test of a living faith. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage if I go away. For I do not go away, the helper will come to you. But when I, but if I go, I will send him. And when he comes, talking about the work of the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That the part of the Holy Spirit's work in our life is to bring about conviction of what's right, what's wrong, and where we stand in God dealing with right and wrong. Conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. In Acts chapter 2, Paul's preach, uh, uh, Peter, I'm sorry, gets up and preaches the first sermon. And he tells them the gospel of who Jesus is. He, he's giving them what the faith is all about. And when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart, it says. They had conviction of the truth of what they had heard. This is the conviction. And then they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? They had conviction. And they said, What do we do about this burning in my heart, about this conviction that, that we see where we stand with God and we're wrong? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized. 
in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so we see over and over in scriptures this, this dual, con- this dual idea of what a living faith is. It is conviction of where we're doing wrong things, conviction of sin, conviction of walking away from God and the repentance to turn back to God. And we need both. And it is really part of the faith of this test faith. This is what he's telling the people. He's like, do you not see this in your lives that, that, you know, I've told you what you're doing wrong already and you're still doing it. You've got, I've brought about the truth of the word into your life and you're not turning back from that. And so he has concern. He's hoping that they will test themselves to see if they have both conviction and repentance. The second test. Oops, I'm sorry. The second test. Understanding and obedience. Again, both and, not either or. You can't, you need understanding of what God says and obedience. Again, there's lots of people who know what the Bible say. There, there are people who in our world today take Bible courses so they can learn how to argue against the Bible and remain disobedient to its scriptures. Uh, there, are, there are organizations out there teaching people, this is how you combat Christians when they read you the scriptures. This is how you can remain disobedient. But the first thing you need to know is what it says. And so they have knowledge without obedience. And so Paul, the Bible lays out in several places where we need both. It's pretty common for Paul himself, like he did in Colossians 1, 9. He often prays for the churches. And one of the things he is pretty common in his prayers for in, like, in Ephesians and Colossians and, uh, and in other places is that they will have knowledge of God, like Colossians 1, 9. We do not cease to pray for you to ask that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's a common prayer for the pastor Paul to be praying for his people. I want you to know what God has for you. I want you to know what God wants from you. I want you to know God and his will. I want you to understand this. I want you to have knowledge or understanding about who God is. But he also expects them to be obedient. Romans chapter 6, but thanks be to God that through, though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of unright, of righteousness. That once we were slaves of unrighteousness and we couldn't help to be anything but obedient, but one of the tests of living faith is now knowledge of what God wants and the ability to do it, to be obedient. That we don't just know, but we obey. First John 5.3 makes it very succinct, very plain. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and the commandments are not a burdensome. That we understand and obey. It's a test of living faith. Do you see that presence in your life? That, that not only do I study the scriptures, not only understand it, not only under, know what God's telling me to do, but I do it. Randy and I often talk about some of the simple things that God says, like in Hebrews uh, chapter 10, where it says, don't forsake the gathering together of yourselves, right? That's pretty plain, right? It's, I mean, the easiest way to do that, come to church. <laughs> We're often kind of dumbfounded by how many people say, well, I don't have to go to church to love God. Well, no, you don't have to go to church to love God, I guess. 
But you do probably need to go to church if you're going to obey God. Because he says to do that. Don't forsake the gathering together of yourselves. You know, encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so I'm wondering, do you love God if he said to do this? And it says obedience is love of God. Do you see that both? The final test, the third way of basically saying the same thing, is faith and behavior. Charlene's already quoted one of the good verses there, right? Faith without works, without deeds is dead. You know, faith and behavior. Uh, the Bible also says, you know, a, a classic example of someone who has faith without behavior is the demons. The Bible says the demons believe and shudder. They know who God is. They don't obey God. They they have faith. You know, they understand what faith is. And they, they probably believe and understand God better than I do. But they don't behave in any kind of way. It doesn't change their behavior. And so it's not just faith alone, but it's faith and behavior. This is what James is kind of drawing at. You say you have faith. Well, show me the behavior that backs up our faith. Because every behavior we do is based in some kind of belief system that we have. Throughout scriptures, we see that that our faith leads to a change in behavior. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. There's some kind of change in the way this person lives. Anyone who has faith lives differently. A new creature. People say something's different. Galatians 5, 6 tells us about, that we should, uh, but I say walk by the Spirit. Again, a faith act. The Spirit indwelling us, His presence with us. And do not carry out the desires of the flesh. To, to live differently. Uh, those desires of the flesh or, or that old creation that we're changing from is explained pretty well in Galatians chapter 5. We often read Galatians 5 and look at the fruit of the Spirit. There's another list in Galatians 5 right before the fruit of the Spirit showing what the old man, that old creature looks like. Now the deeds of the flesh that we won't carry out if we walk by the Spirit are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. Envying, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like this, which I forewarn you, just as I forewarned you, that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's the old self. And when we have living faith, that is supposed to be dying and a new thing coming. Walking by the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 2 says... And they were dead in their trespasses and sin in which you formerly walked to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too formerly lived in the lust of the flesh indulging the desires of the flesh of the mind and were by nature children of wrath even as, even as the rest. The key word there that Paul is writing to the Ephesians is that this is what you formerly were. Formerly but no longer. That now that you have faith, your behavior, your living, your walking is noticeably different. One more verse I'll read to you from Colossians chapter 1. This is right after, starting with, uh, I'm going to read verse 9 again. It's the one we just read about where Paul's praying for the church to have knowledge of God. It says, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask for you to be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects 
And here's what this new life looks like. Bearing fruit in every good work. Increasing in knowledge of God. Strengthening with all power according to his glorious might. For the attaining of the steadfastness and patience. And joyously giving thanks to the Father who qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And that these are the tests of faith. Do we have conviction and repentance? Understanding and obedience. A living faith that's lived out in the way we behave and live. These are some of the tests that the New Testament writers write out. And Paul's encouraging the people, look at these things. Consider yourself. What condition of your soul is there? Do you see these things? Let us have a conversation about that. And I told you the reason was because the examiners are coming. The first examiner to show up in Corinthians, in Corinth, is going to be Paul the pastor. He's giving them a warning. Hey, guys. I'm coming to town. I want to talk with you about how things are going, especially your soul. Let's have some spiritual conversations. Examine yourselves and be ready to give me some accounts of where you think you're at. What struggles do you see? Are there besetting sins in your life? Are you doing okay? Do you need some help? Do you need some guidance? Do you need someone to talk with? I'm coming to town and I want to have a conversation with you. But there's another examiner that's much more important than your pastor, much more important than Pastor Paul. And it inspires Paul to write another pastor, Timothy, when he's training young Timothy on how to be a pastor. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, this is what, what he says to Timothy. He's teaching Timothy how to be a pastor, how to care for people, how to be concerned about the souls of other people. He tells him to preach the word. In season and out of season, be ready to rebuke and reprove. You, you may remember that verse. But why does he say that to Timothy? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. See, Paul is not just warning the Corinthians about his upcoming visit. He wants to do his pastoral duty. He wants to have conversations with them about their soul. But his whole reason is he realized there's another examiner coming. Jesus the Lord. And there's an and to Jesus the Lord too. You know, just like conviction and repentance. Understanding and obedience. Faith and behavior. Jesus the Lord and judge and he's coming to visit too sometime after paul and what paul's great motivation is you can be worried about me coming or not coming i don't know that paul's terribly concerned about that but i want to make sure you're ready for when the lord comes that's what i want to help you get yourself ready for because he's an examiner that matters more than i do and so in the similar way Randy and I bear that same burden, that same concern, that same care. And so I want to make an invitation to you. You have a card. If you read that card, you can see it right there. I would like a text. We can do it through text. We can do it through email. We can do a phone call. If you want to meet over coffee, if you don't like coffee, it can be tea. I'll meet you for sweet tea, unsweet tea, hot tea, cold tea. Coke. If it has to be at a restaurant, we can do it there. 
or if you want me to come to your home. Randy and I are making ourselves available as your pastors. There's no greater desire we have. I can tell you this today. There's no greater desire than we have that we would meet with every person in this room at some time just to have a conversation. How's your soul? Where do you think you're at? Each and every one of you. There's my contact information. Feel free to, you can do it on a card, you can call me, you can text me, you can email me. I have a new email set up just for the church. Pastor J at fbcc at gmail dot, uh, gmail dot com. Let's get together. Here's Randy's information. If you don't want to talk to me and you feel more comfortable with him, great. Gives me, I'll find something else to do that day. But our desire is to have spiritual conversations. And I want to make this clear that this is an invitation to everybody. Maybe you're, maybe you're 100% okay. You have no worries. You have no sin. You have no doubt. You have no struggles. And you have no questions. I am 100% good, Jason. I really want to meet with you. Because I just need to hear somebody who's like that. It'll be such an encouragement to me. To, to meet the 100% person, it, it will just make my day. So all you 100%ers, please call me because I need that. Maybe you say, well, I'm not 100%. I'm in the 80% category. Okay, we'd like to meet with you. Maybe you're in the 50 percentile and say, you know, I'm just half and half on this whole Jesus thing. Great. Let's talk about that. Maybe you're in the 15 percentile and say, I believe... Half of what I believe less than half of what you say. I'm not sure I even believe there's a God. Great. Let's talk about that. So wherever you are and however you decide your your spectrum, however you examine yourself, whatever category you put yourself in, I want to talk about that. Because there's no more important part of you than your soul. And for you to look at your soul and for us to have a soul conversation, to have a holy conversation about where you see yourself at. Where do you think you're at? Is there, maybe there's something I can do. Maybe there's nothing I can do. Maybe I can't do anything more, more than pray. But I can tell you, my heart is concerned about those things. In the same way Paul was concerned about his church, because he knows one day, one's coming after him, that he wants to get there, his people prepared to see. And this is mine and Randy's great desire. If, if it took up all our time to do that, we would feel like it's time well spent. Because those are important things. We spend a lot of time doing pressing things and not doing the important things. These are things we think are important. Now, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to go ahead and make all your excuses for you. All right? Why you don't want to do this. My doctor's here. Tim's here today. I'm glad he's here. Tim, please forgive me for what I'm about to say. Because I realize there's, there's a reason I don't go to Tim like I should. Tim, Tim will probably attest. I don't come to visit him as often as I should. And I'm going to tell you why I don't go to Tim. Probably the same reason you won't want to come to us. Number one, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what he's going to tell me. I don't want to hear what he's got to say. You know, if you could lose about 30 more pounds. I don't want to hear that. Right? Or it could be something more devastating, you know, like this pain I've been having. It could turn out to be something that I really don't want to know. And my ignorance is my bliss. 
And so I don't want him to tell me what's growing inside of me or not growing inside of me or the condition of my heart and how my family history is going to catch up with me sooner or later if I keep eating all those pepperoni pizzas. And so I'm just afraid of what I might hear. And I think people don't come to me and Randy because they're afraid of what we might say. They don't, they don't, they don't want to hear what the truth might be. And so I avoid Tim and I feel like sometimes people avoid me for the same reason. The other reason is knowledge. I already know a whole lot of what's going on with me and my health. And I know what I should be doing. And I know I'm not doing it in many cases. And so I already have plenty of knowledge to work with. So what do I need to go tell him for him to tell me more, right? And so I, I know what he's going to find. And, and I, I don't want him to find out the truth. And so a lot of us already know where we're at when we evaluate ourselves. And so to hear it again or have somebody confirm that, that's painful too. And so we avoid that. Uh, you know, I know that I haven't done what I've already been told to do. And so for him to repeat himself, why would I put him through that? And then the last one, probably the worst, is accountability. Once I go to Tim, once he tells me what my condition is, once I get the knowledge, once I agree, yeah, Tim, you're right. I need to do that. I need to do that. I need to do that. And then I see him every week in this place. He doesn't even have to say it. Just walk into his presence. I'm like, oh boy, I bet he can tell. I hadn't done what I'm supposed to be doing. There's an old saying about this. People don't do what you expect. People do what you inspect. It's a saying to acknowledge that we as humans need accountability. We need somebody to hold us accountable. Someone, when we walk into their presence and they go, have you been, you know, uh, did you do? And sometimes it's just their presence. Yeah, I know, Jason, I'm supposed to be reading my Bible every day. It's funny how many people just come up to me and they just like, I hadn't been doing that. Well, I didn't even ask. <laughs> That's great. We need each other's presence and accountability to take care of our souls. The soul work is our realm. It belongs to Christians. The Bible is our guidebook on how to take care of our souls. And I want us to be refocused on our own souls and each other's souls. And I'll make you this agreement. I'll set up my meeting with Randy this week so he can take care of mine. Because I need it as much as anybody else does. So, those are your excuses if you don't want to accept the invitation. But if you do... Here's the invitation again for each and every one of you, whatever percentile you find yourself in, let's sit down and have a holy conversation. Pastor to parishioner, however you want to say that, Jason to friend, because I care about your soul as much as I hope you care about mine.